Now, with a special edition of the WFHB Local News, the producers of Bring It On deliver a program called Federal Officers on U.S. Streets. In today's program, you will hear from Major General Craig Timberlake of the U.S. Marine Corps. You will also hear from Joseph Hoffman, Harry Prater Professor of Law at Indiana University. This special episode takes a look at cities like Portland, Oregon, where federal law enforcement officials are dressed in camouflage, tactical gear, and releasing tear gas upon protesters. There have been reports of federal officers pulling protesters in unmarked vans. Governor Kate Brown of Oregon calls this a, quote, blatant abuse of power, end quote. Mayor Ted Wheeler of Portland said this is an attack on our democracy. In today's program, the Bring It On team discussed with their guest the constitutionality of the federal response to the protests in Portland. We now turn to Clarence Boone and William Hosea of Bring It On. Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to this brief edition of Bring It On Extra. Bring It On is a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Ted Sickinger of the Oregonian newspaper recently reported that Portlanders first started protesting police violence against Black Americans in late May. It wasn't until 31 days later that federal officers were first seen at the nightly demonstrations. In the weeks since then, federal agents have used less lethal munitions and gas on protesters numerous times. Their actions have drawn scrutiny from Oregon officials and support from President Donald Trump. The president again praised federal law enforcement Monday, saying they were doing a fantastic job in Portland. Trump said he planned to replicate the response in other major U.S. cities led by Democratic mayors. This move he called a necessary security action and critics labeled an election year political stunt. After the Department of Homeland Security deployed scores of Border Patrol police and federal marshals, many in combat fatigues to Portland, Oregon last week, Trump said he could do so in other Democrat-led cities. The Posse Comitatus Act is a United States federal law signed on June 18, 1878 by President Rutherford B. Hayes, which limits the powers of the federal government and the use of federal military personnel to enforce domestic policies within the United States. The act was passed as an amendment to an Army Appropriation Bill following the end of Reconstruction and was updated in 1956 and in 1981. So to help sort through the complexity and constitutionality of these issues, we invited Professor Joseph Hoffman, an award-winning scholar and law teacher. He holds a Harry Pretter professorship and is a past recipient of the Law School Gavel Award and the University-wide Outstanding Young Faculty Award. 
Joining him is Major General Craig Q. Timberlake of the United States Marine Corps. Major General Timberlake enjoyed a highly successful and distinguished career. He retired from the Marine Corps in 2018 after 41 years of service. And with that, gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Uh, we thank you both for, uh, of course, accommodating us in short notice, but so much has been going on in the news that we needed to get some expert uh, response to what we're viewing on TV. This is sort of new ground for America, it seems. As a lead-off question, uh, let me ask, first of all, do governors have the authority to activate their National Guard units to either directly counter federal officers or at the very least to protect the protesters from being detained and removed from the streets. And these uh, cities, some that have been mentioned have been Portland, Chicago, Albuquerque, Kansas City, and Detroit, and so on. So I throw that out just as an opening question for you both. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll jump in first if you don't mind. Uh, and I'm sure the uh, professor will jump in when he wants to. Uh, yes. Initially, your, your initial question is, do they have the authority? Yes, a governor can activate the National Guard in order to do what he sees or needs doing uh, to uh, assist the citizens of his state. However, the issue here becomes, even if the governor were to activate the National Guard under Title 32 of the United States Code, the president could actually federalize those same troops under the Insurrection Act of 1807. And so the, the president in this case, his orders would trump the orders of any governor. So the, the governor brings them on active duty and then the president federalizes those same uh, troops. So rendering really anything the governor has to do kind of moot. And he would probably do that too. Yeah, and, and, and you know, keep in mind that we've, we've been down a kind of somewhat similar path, the similar but, but also radically different um, before. You know, in, in the 1960s, um, there were a series of incidents in which state governors, um, as well as local political leaders, tried to resist federal authority um, in, in terms of significant actions that took place during the civil rights movement, for example, the desegregation of school systems. And, um, and it went down just about, uh, as, as the general said, you know, in, in some instances, those governors tried to call out their National Guard to try to block desegregation of those, those schools. And uh, and then the president of the United States essentially flipped the table, and um, those same National Guard troops a week later were actually there to protect the uh, children who were the first uh, to enter those uh, newly desegregated schools. So, so when this played out in the '60s, um, the president was actually on the right side of history. Yep, that's that's the radical that's the radical difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, General Timberlake, as a retired military person, this next question is just burning through my mind and begging to be answered. But as far as we know, protesters in cities threatened by the president are unarmed and mostly peaceful. However, when, when heavily armed white protesters in Michigan stormed the state house, 
he encouraged them. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was no talk of sending in any federal officers. So the message has an obvious uh, racial bias to it. If you were still on active duty as a senior leader, two-star general, what would you communicate to your troops, especially those minority servicemen and women, after they've heard uh, a steady stream of racism from their commander in chief? Sure, and, and the first thing I would tell them is, is the, the same things that I would tell them in any times of any unrest or conflict or even actual war. And that is first off, to remember their duty with respect to the constitution because that's gotta be first and foremost. And, and in our previous discussions on another show, we talked about the constitution and the oath that, that the enlisted members and the officers both swear to the constitution. And so we won't go into that, but I would remind them of their oath to the constitution or their, their, their duty in respect to the constitution. I would remind them that they're here to serve all of America. And that means all Americans and not just those that share their ethnicity or their beliefs, but all Americans. And then finally, I would go back to reminding them to remember that oath of office, how that oath of office is administered and what it means to each and every one of them, office and enlistment. Care to chime in, um, uh, Professor Hoffman? No, I couldn't possibly say anything better than that. <laughs> okay, well, I have a follow-up question. Uh, the lesson that President Trump learned following the Lafayette Square incident, where uh, suppose it, supposedly uh, masses of people were moved out of the way so that people could march to a church and take a photo op. I mean, that's what a basic uh, analysis of that was. Um, the lesson learned was to replace active duty troops with U.S. Marshals and Customs and Border Agents. It seems like this is a real walking thin line to circumvent the law against the use of active duty troops. And for either gentleman, if you'd like to respond to that. Sure, I'll, I'll take a, a shot at that. So um, the, the, everything you said in your introduction, um, referencing the Posse Comitatus Act, um, all, all true. And uh, presidents historically have been quite limited in their ability to um, to use um, actual military uh, forces um, in any domestic um, police type action. Um, there are exceptions that would allow um, a president to deploy uh, military personnel domestically. The Insurrection Act is probably the most significant of those. Um, there was talk um, a few weeks back about uh, possible invocation by President Trump of the Insurrection Act. Um, the historical precedent going back, you know, uh, going back well over a century um, certainly would make that a real stretch in terms of being legal. And I suspect that uh, there was enough pushback both external and internal, um, people perhaps warning the president that he was on thin legal ice, um, that um, I suspect, um, I, I will never know for sure, but I suspect that what we saw happen in Portland and possibly happening now in, or soon to happen in Chicago, maybe Kansas City and other places, um, was essentially a, a kind of second uh, play by the president. Rather than 
calling out uh, active duty military and running into the the legal and precedential barriers, um, they found a, a, another way. And um, I, I don't know how deep in the weeds you want to go with this, but um, but but the fact of the matter is that what happened in Portland um, these past few days, um, I think. Um, in terms of statutory authority, um, there there does seem to be that authority for a president to protect federal facilities, physical places, and also um, personnel who may work in those places or or other federal personnel. You know, a president does have the authority. It actually it, it's it's really kind of an interesting history. It, it comes down to the fact that for a very long time there's been a federal um, essentially a police, uh, there are a number of federal police forces. Okay. Uh, we all know about the FBI. Um, we're hearing a lot these days about, um, the immigration and customs enforcement ICE or the, uh, custom and border patrol CBP. Um, you know, I used to work at the Supreme court and there was a little police force there called the Supreme court police. And their job was to protect the building. That's, that's all they did really was to protect the building. Um, they were essentially federal, very well-trained security guards for the building. And there is a more general federal police force like that, that um, uh, the protective serve, the federal protective services is what they're called. And um, it's, it's not even 2000 strong, but um, they are deployed basically to protect federal buildings generally. So a lot like the Supreme Court police. But their authorizing statute specifically allows a president under uh, when, when the need arises to call out other federal law enforcement agency personnel to basically temporarily support the actions of this very small police force known as the Federal Protective Services. And that's how we got ICE and CBP agents in Portland, because at least ostensibly, they were there to protect the federal courthouse, which had become uh, a locus for protest. Ironically, if the protesters had known about all of this legal stuff, they could have probably gone to a different part of Portland where there were no federal facilities and the federal agents would have had no legal authority to go do anything to them over there. But because they were trying to get into a federal building, um, there was statutory authority. Now, it raises constitutional questions, and we may want to get into that later. But on a statutory basis, um, yes, the move away from active duty military to these uh, deputized protective services agents uh, probably gave some, some legal cover to what, what happened. If you just joined us, um, you just heard Professor Joseph Hoffman, an award-winning scholar and law professor at Indiana University's Maurer School of Law. And also, we've heard from Major General Craig Q. Timberlake, now retired from the United States Marine Corps. And we want to thank these gentlemen. They're responding to the current uh, act activities in the city of Portland and now moving to other cities of armed federal uh, officers moving in to for lack of a better word, keep the peace. I have, I will note that the rhetoric now is changing from just protecting these federal installations to getting guns off the street, to reducing crime. So their charge is seem, seeming to change a little bit, but I'll defer to William to kind of follow up on some other questions that we have. 
Uh, Professor Hoffman, you mentioned something uh, about protecting federal properties. Now, just like he does with everything, Donald Trump is really pushing the envelope here. So far, I've heard no opposition from any of the governors or mayors about federal officers protecting federal property. However, as we all know, they, they went beyond that to, to patrolling the streets and snatching people up without uh, them being suspected of any crimes, uh, without reading them any rights, uh, without disclosing anything to them, put a, put a hood on one guy's head. And uh, the video has been circulating it through news outlets. But my question is, how far can they push these actions? Well, that's ultimately going to be a question for a court yeah. to decide. Um, but we're in the midst of uh, rapidly unfolding situations. You're absolutely right that what happened in Portland um, essentially began as an action that was at least nominally uh, or ostensibly argued to be justified by protecting a federal building and has quickly evolved. And in the situations, for example, in Chicago, um, there's, there's not even really much of an argument being made there that um, what the president wants to do is protect, you know, the federal building downtown. Um, it's about going after street gangs. It's about going after gun violence. Um, that takes us into different territory. You know, that takes us beyond the, the purview or the scope of that tiny little federal protective services police force. Um, we're now talking about what, are, what is the authority more generally of Homeland Security and you know, both ICE and CBP operate under the jurisdiction of the uh, Department of Homeland Security, as does the Federal Protective Services. They're all part of DHS. So uh, Department of Homeland Security is a new creation. It, it didn't exist before September 11th. It was created in the aftermath of September 11th. And um, at the time, Congress gave the Department of Homeland Security very broad authority because we were all afraid of what happened on September 11th. And now, for the first time, we are witnessing a president who is, as you say, uh, extremely pushing the envelope of what DHS was created to do, what it was designed to do, what it traditionally has done. I will tell you that for 20 years, ever since DHS, you know, almost 20 years, ever since DHS was first created, I've been pushing my law students in class on occasion to think about the constitutionality of the charge, the mission of the Department of Homeland Security. You know, at the time our country was founded, um, federal government did not have authority to engage in domestic police actions. And uh, to the extent that DHS now claims that they can do that in a manner that would be totally disconnected with any kind of foreign threat or any kind of you know, foreign terrorism, um, I think that presents constitutional questions that have never been addressed by our, uh, by our, you know, our court system. This may be the time and place when that will have to happen. Um, this question you know, is for- uh, If I right. could. Uh, let, me, let me follow up just a little bit there. I, I think it's uh, 
first off, I, I think the professor spot on, and that's why he's a professor because he's very learned in this situation. But I, I think it was, it, it, to me, something was very striking. And that was a comment the other day from Tom Ridge. And we all know that Tom Ridge was a former governor of Pennsylvania. He happens to be a Republican. And I say that just by way of identification, but he was also the first person to serve as the Secretary of Homeland Security. And when he was asked about President Trump's actions, he says, look, the department was established to protect Americans from an ever-present threat of global terrorism. It was not established to be the president's personal militia. Ridge went on to say it would be a cold day in hell before he would consent as a governor to what is taking place. And that means bringing in, of course, federal, federal officers inside his state. Uh, I wish the president would take a more collaborative approach toward fighting this lawlessness than the unilateral approach that he has taken. So I, I think that kind of speaks to where we are. Uh, irrespective of where you fall out on the issue, and, and I don't want to go Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, but if the formal head, the first head says, maybe this is something we shouldn't be doing, then perhaps we need to take a look at it. And to that point, let me add this. Um, there was a comment made by our president, uh, rather intentionally, and I, I tend to think now more than ever that a lot of his comments or, or, or apparent slips are intentional messaging. He had mentioned that a lot of these cities and locales are democratically led. So to your point, Major, I understand, General, I understand. Uh, we don't want to go Democrat, Republican. We're talking about the citizenry of the, of the United States, but he specifically targeted by his, by his words, democratically led cities, which did get some pushback as far as, well, is this just a political stunt? Uh, as his poll numbers are sort of flailing, uh, is this some kind of way to rally support behind the law and order concept, which I think Nixon initially initiated? Uh, I'll bring order back to the streets. I think maybe even Ronald Reagan uh, even echoed when he was running for president. So it, we want to divorce politics from this, but so help me, it, it's kind of hard, especially the cities that have been targeted. And, you know, it's just, to me, another attempt to distract, change the narrative, uh, bring emphasis and focus on something totally different. And just your impressions, I asked both gentlemen to comment on that. Yeah, I, let, let me say, you know, I, I completely agree with you that you, know, you can't watch what's happening right now and not think about it in political terms. That's absolutely true. Um, I don't think this would be happening if we weren't coming up on an election, um, at least not to this extent. Um, I, I do agree with, with the general, however, that um, you don't have to be a Democrat <laughs> to be to be upset about what's going on right now. Um, I voted for a number of Republican presidents in my lifetime. I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, but uh, I believe more than anything in the rule of law. I think the rule of law is what makes our country possible. And if we lose that, we lose it all. We lose the whole thing. And uh, what I see happening right now is uh, another, it's not the first, and it, unfortunately it may not be the last, but it's yet another threat to the rule of law in this country. And um, that's what has me upset. And, and I, I, I would like to think that, you know, that good-hearted people from both sides of the political spectrum could at least agree about that. You know, from my, my side, I, I've got to say that when the president says things like, look at the 
cities under democratic leadership and, and how things are, are progressing or not there, to me, that's a more than obvious dog whistle to his base. And, and that is, again, as the professor said, we're leading up to an election. We're less than 130 days from the election. I suspect the rhetoric will only get stronger and more divisive. You know, talking about leading up to an election, um, I, I generally tend to frown on conspiracy theories until they make sense. But what I'm hearing now is more and more talk, uh, opinions from people who say that these latest actions are just a prelude to nullify, influence, or cancel the upcoming election altogether. He kind of sets the stage for uh, chaos and anarchy, and then he, he feels it's necessary to save the country. So he comes in and kind of wipes everything clean so he can stay in office. Well, what, what are your thoughts on that? Professor. Uh, so um, I spend a lot of time doing, um, doing work with some colleagues of mine in Poland, some legal professor, law professors and, and um, researchers in Poland. And in the time I've spent working over there, I've observed uh, how basically almost everything that we have experienced in our country um, you know, to a certain extent, there's been an analog that happened first in Poland. They were like the canary in the coal mine. They had their, they had their populist, nationalist, uh, Trump-type candidate elected one year before. It was in 2015. Um, they had an attack on the courts, uh, a political attack on the courts. They had uh, political attacks on the media. It's been right down the line, everything that happened. And they were supposed to have a presidential election um, back uh, earlier this year that the ruling party um, basically manipulated and delayed because they uh, felt that they were in some jeopardy. And um, they did it on the same pretext that, um, you know, it was a time of disorder, there was coronavirus, there was this, there was that. Um, I, I am not, um, I am not uh, naive. I think there is a real risk that we will see that kind of, of shenanigans tried uh, here in the United States, especially if the uh, polls continue to show that um, that the president um, you know may lose the election. Um, and it might be around disorder, but it might also be around coronavirus. You know, in a sense, uh, they've got two shots at this to 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 try to disrupt the election and say, well, we can't do this in November. Let me jump in right now as our time has elapsed for this daily local news insert uh, on extra. Um, don't fret, we will continue this interview in its entirety on a future broadcast show of Bring It On. But for right now, we want to thank Professor Joseph Hoffman, um, an award-winning scholar and law professor at the Indiana University Maurer School of Law. Thank Q Timberlake, now retired from the United States Marine Corps for joining us to shed some light on the complexity and constitutionality of the recent presidential deployment of border patrol police and federal marshals, many in combat fatigues to Portland, Oregon and other cities in America. Is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. 
Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Thank you.